you may have noticed a difference in the sound of the podcast lately. And that's because for the past few weeks, I've been using a Blue Yeti microphone. Would you believe that before that, I was using an old rock band video game microphone? It worked, but I didn't want to stay with that for long, considering the mic has been out for a few years. Was this upgrade to the Blue Yeti worth it buying used? Find out in our first product review here on Joey's Totally Tech. So, I know this product is a few years old now. It's 2020, and you can buy these microphones for under $100 on eBay if you look hard enough. But it hasn't gone down much from its initial price of $129 back in 2015. I personally purchased the Blackout Edition. This is not to be confused with the newer Blue Yeti Nano, which only has two polar patterns you could use. Uh, cardioid and omnidirectional. Nor do we want to confuse this with the Blue Nano X, which I haven't really looked at yet. The original Blue Yeti has four polar patterns, stereo, omnidirectional, cardioid, and bidirectional. It's also a condenser microphone. It's a very hot microphone and it will pick up every single ambient sound if your room is not treated for noise. So first, let me explain the polar patterns. Stereo is where you can hear what side of the mic the person is on. It's picking up everything in close proximity to the microphone, but not too far away. Omnidirectional is where it's picking up everything around the microphone, but you're not able to tell where exactly it is. And in this mode, it's going to pick up everything i'm serious everything and the quality normally won't be as good you're going to hear that in the demo cardioid is the preferred way for podcasters such as myself and streamers it probably has the nicest sound out of the four modes and it gives you that radio quality sound that you definitely want in your podcast and finally bi-directional lets you use two sides of the mic you could have one person on one side of it and another person on the other talking to each other. Now, Blue Designs is a company known to make good quality microphones for the price. The Snowball or Snowball Ice for Blue, for example, is what many have started with when it comes to podcasting. Both are easy to set up USB microphones for well under $100. They're normally going between like $40 and $60. Though from what I've heard from those mics, I think this one is quite a bit better. Now for this review, I'm going to be testing the microphone in all of its modes in several different situations, so you get an idea of what it sounds like. But first, let's talk about what it comes with. This is a USB microphone, so the microphone is both powered by and audio is sent through the USB cable. I saw one review of this microphone 
where the reviewer was plugging it into a mixer with the mic's headphone jack rather than his laptop computer with USB and was just powering the mic with his laptop and recording on the mixer. While I suppose you could do that, it wasn't really meant to work that way. It's a microphone meant to record straight to the computer without the need of any other audio interface. Being a USB microphone, it does come with a mini USB to USB cable. Also, I should mention, the microphone has a bit of weight to it. When I opened the package up, I found that to be a good sign, at least for me. I don't know why, but I feel like if I could throw the microphone at someone and risk serious injury to that person, not that I would do that, that's got to be a pretty good microphone. Maybe that's not a good test, though. The mic feels really nice to the touch. It doesn't feel cheap to me at all, unlike the blue snowballs, which many complain do feel cheap. It comes with a nice metallic stand to get started with. The stand has some foam padding on the bottom, which may help with shock absorption just a little bit, and I didn't have any issues with shock like you may have heard with my old rock band microphone on occasion in older podcast episodes, but I think many of you are going to want to buy a different stand for this, as well as a shock absorption mount. So I've done that. My issue with the stand that it comes with is that the mic is not level with my mouth when I set it on the desk. I'm fairly tall, so that's probably part of the problem, but I had to take my Nintendo Entertainment System out, set that on the desk, and then set the stand on that in order for it to be level with my mouth. And it was still a little bit off, by the way. And for podcasting, which is what I specifically purchased this for, you want this to be pretty close to your mouth. And keep in mind, this is a side address microphone. You will want to be perpendicular to the mic's front side, not the end as you would do with front address microphones, which I think most people are used to. So I'm using a microphone arm stand, a Knox Gear Blue Yeti shock mount, and a Blue Yeti mic foam pop filter. And no matter what stand you're using, you should always be using a pop filter of some type to keep the sound from popping in your recording. Those are also known as plosives. This is what occurs when a gust of air hits the microphone's diaphragm and it creates that popping sound. If for some reason you can't get a pop filter, you'll want to move the microphone 45 degrees off angle. That will help reduce those plosives. As I mentioned previously, the microphone also has a headphone jack. Useful if you want to monitor what you sound like when you're using the microphone. And the microphone can also double as an external sound card too, so you can listen to your PC's audio through the same headphone jack. On the front, the mic has a mute button as well as a headphone volume knob if you do have headphones plugged in, and knobs on the back for the gain and your polar patterns. So in this part of the review, I'm going to be testing from different angles and different situations with these polar patterns. The first pattern I'm testing out is stereo. I am currently at the front of the mic. 
Now I'm at the top. Now I'm behind the mic. I'm at the left of the mic. I'm at the right of the mic. Now I'm behind the mic. Now we're using omnidirectional. I am at the front of the mic. I'm at the top of the mic. I'm at the back of the mic. Left of the mic. Right of the mic. And behind the mic. Now I have the mic in cardioid mode. I am at the front of the mic. I'm at the top of the mic. I'm behind the mic. I'm to the left of the mic. I'm to the right of the mic. Now I am under the mic. And now I have it in bi-directional mode. I am at the front of the mic. I am at the top of the mic. I am at the back of the mic. I am at the left of the mic. I'm at the right of the mic. Now I'm below the mic. I am now at my couch about five to seven feet behind where I normally sit. We are in stereo mode. This is what it sounds like. The mic is now in omnidirectional mode. I'm in the same position. I am now in the same position, but in cardioid mode. And finally, we are in bidirectional mode, and I am in the same position. Now I've got some keyboard noise in the background in stereo mode. I'm continuing with keyboard noise in omnidirectional mode. I now have the keyboard noise in cardioid mode. And now keyboard noise with bidirectional mode. Silence test in stereo. Silence test in omnidirectional mode. Silence test in cardioid mode. Silence test in bidirectional mode. A quick note, I was going to record with the AC on, but the AC seems to not want to turn back on, so I'm going to use a fan instead. I don't think that's going to be a big difference in the result between the two, however. I have the fan on with stereo mode. The fan is on with omnidirectional mode. The fan is on with cardioid mode. And the fan is on in bidirectional mode. So that gives you an idea of what you can expect from this microphone sound like. Now, I did not expect to break the AC. This would be the second time this has been down this week. Now, keep in mind, if you're using this mic, particularly in cardioid mode, you really want to be right up at the mic, maybe a couple of inches from it. Each pattern is going to have its specific use case, of course. I know for me, the positions I want my microphone in are cardioid, and if there are two of us using the microphone, as sometimes Lisa and I do the tech news together, and we're sharing a mic, bi-directional. Stereo sounded fine for what it was, and could be useful. It would be great, for example, if you're recording a choir singing, or if you want to capture sounds that would show up on the left, the right, above or below. 
the least useful option for me at least would be the omnidirectional setting. It sounds tinny and it picks up everything. This pattern may be fine if you're wanting to pick up all the sound around you, but you would not want to use that pattern for a professional recording. Being a condenser mic, I'm not too surprised that it picks up so much of the noise in this mode. Condenser mics are bad about picking up noise to begin with. Back to cardioid, the sound is just beautiful in my opinion. This is what you want if you want the best sound for your podcast. And I'd say it's really hard to beat this microphone in the range of $80 to $130 either on the new or used market. If you're a podcaster or Twitch gamer and you have a limited budget for a microphone, I highly recommend this microphone and I definitely recommend getting an arm stand and shock mount for the microphone too. Now if you do that, you'll need to make sure it's compatible as there are some mic arm stands that are not compatible. So look specifically for a stand that is Blue Yeti compatible. And the Knox gear shock mount that I'm using is a great accessory as well. Basically, I screwed the Knox gear shock mount onto the arm first, and then the shock mount has a piece that screws into the bottom of the microphone. Given an average price of $100, even though it's not too significant of a discount from the new market, even at this time, I can highly recommend the microphone. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 stars, as it's an overall excellent microphone for the price. Omnidirectional pattern mode is a bit tinny and doesn't sound so good, but all the other pattern modes sound wonderful, especially cardioid, which is the mode you'll most likely want this in, especially if you're looking at getting into making podcasts like this one. Keep in mind there are also the Yeti Studio and Yeti Pro mics. If you choose to go with one of them, they both include an all-in-one professional recording system including software. The Yeti Studio has the Persona Studio 1 Artist Isotope Nectar elements. The Yeti Pro has an additional stereo analog XLR output, which the Yeti and Yeti Studio lack. Also, the Yeti Pro has a recording sample rate of 24-bit 192kHz versus the 60-bit 48kHz of the Yeti and Yeti Studio. And again, this is not a new product. This has been out for a few years. You can find plenty of them on the used market now. So if you want one, if you don't care about the warranty, I'd try going used. You could probably find a great deal Though, as I said, the price hasn't dropped all that much from the original new price. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. 
I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. It's been another week, and there's a lot of stuff happening in tech as usual. Intel launches its new lake-filled CPUs. The PS5 has finally been revealed. Twitch users are getting hit with copyright strikes. Activists are working to save the internet archive. Apple will be transitioning all their Macs to ARM CPUs. And the European Space Agency is building a reusable rocket. All that and more. It's time for the news on Joey's Totally Tech. Hit that new news intro. It's June 15th and it's time to cover the news from this past week. And this past week, Intel launched their new core processors with the codename Lakefield. It features a hybrid CPU architecture for power and performance scalability. It leverages a 10 nanometer Sunny Cove core to take on more intense workloads and foreground applications. And the power-efficient Tremont cores balance power and performance optimization for background tasks. The Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Fold and the Samsung Galaxy Book S laptops are expected to launch this year with these CPUs, with the Samsung Galaxy Book S expected to release in select markets this month. Android 11 Beta is available. The beta release was postponed so people could focus on important discussions about racial justice, but now they've released the beta of Android 11. Android 11 introduces Bubbles, a new feature to help you respond and engage with important conversations without switching back and forth between your current task and the messaging app. That's exactly a feature I've been wanting for some time, honestly, and Apple appears to be behind the game here. When typing with Gboard, you'll get relevant and automatic suggestions for emoji and text. It takes advantage of federated learning and works without Google ever seeing what you type. You'll also be able to control your smart devices in one place by long pressing on the power button. Um, I normally do that to turn the phone off. But you'll be able to adjust the temperature, turn on the light, or unlock the front door if you have these smart home options. Device controls will show up alongside other things you need to be ready, like payment methods or boarding passes, etc. They think of it as a pocket for your digital wallet, keys, and more. 
They are also introducing new media controls, making it quick and convenient to switch the device your content is playing on. There are also privacy improvements and more. You'll be able to get the beta on Pixel 2 Plus phones now and other devices in coming weeks. The PS5 is revealed. Sony has shown off what the PlayStation 5 will look like. We're still not sure how big it will be, as Sony hasn't given official dimensions of the product. Games have also been announced for it, including Horizon Forbidden West, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, Demon's Souls, Gran Turismo 7, Sackboy A Big Adventure, Returnal, Destruction All-Stars, and Astro's Playroom. Twitch hit streamers with DMCA claims if you played music or audio clips of which you did not have the copyright or license to use while streaming your gameplay on Twitch, you may have been hit with a DMCA copyright claim. They tend to do this every few years, but this time it seems like the wave is larger. The danger is that it's being done with an automated system, and if you have enough videos flagged, your Twitch channel could be at risk. Nightblue asked on Twitter, quote, Why are labels issuing DMCA takedowns on Twitch clips? Twitch clips don't generate revenue and nobody goes to a Twitch stream to listen to your specific song. This is purely discoverability for your music. Will game publishers start issuing strikes for streaming their games too? End quote. Many creators feel like they have no choice but to simply mass delete all of their old videos and clips from the past few years, rather than have the automated DMCA system flag their old content and potentially put their channel in danger. This is a particular problem for anyone streaming games like Just Dance, Rock Band, Guitar Hero, and more that have recognizable copyrighted music. Twitch was asked about this and they seem to be as lost as the creators. Their advice was to literally just delete everything. Broadcom is suggesting the new iPhone launch will be delayed. Chipmaker Broadcom, which is a major supplier for Apple Incorporated, suggested that the latest iPhones will be launched later than usual this year. CEO of Broadcom Hot Tan said it's a major production cycle delay at a large North American mobile phone customer during an earnings call with analysts on Thursday. Hot Tan is known to refer to Apple this way. Tan said the delay will mean the bump in wireless revenue experienced by Broadcom will happen a quarter later than usual this year. Apple plans on releasing the next iPhone line multiple weeks later than usual, as reported by Bloomberg News. They typically unveil new iPhones in the second half of September, but occasionally they have done so later, as in the case of the iPhone X in 2017. Activists are rallying to save the Internet Archive as a lawsuit is threatening the site. The Internet Archive had created the National Emergency Library in March, responding to the shutdown of public libraries due to COVID-19. It suspended book waitlist until the end of June. 
allowing for a single copy of a book to be downloaded an infinite number of times. Book publishers weren't happy about this, so they filed a lawsuit against the Internet Archive, accusing them of violating the Copyright Act and facilitating digital piracy. The Internet Archive has responded by closing the library early, but the lawsuit could result in the shutdown of the entire service. There have been attempts at backing up the library, but those attempts have been unsuccessful, and open internet activists are trying to find a way to save the archive. Artificial intelligence is going to do surgery. Google Brain, Intel, and UC Berkeley are working together to train robotic surgery AI with videos. Motion to Vec is an AI model created by researchers at Google Brain, Intel, AI Lab, and UC Berkeley, and it's capable of learning how to do robotic surgery. It has been trained with videos from John Hopkins University and Intuitive Surgery Incorporated. Okay, look, this is how the robots fight back. I don't want them killing me during surgery, or even worse, assimilating me to the Borg. Actually, being a cyborg might be kind of cool. More AI news. Facebook's transcoder AI converts code from one programming language into another. Now, this is probably going to be more understood by the programmers and coders listening out there than the general public. But Facebook researchers have developed a neurotranscompiler that converts code from one high-level programming language into another without supervision. Migrating a code base from one language to another normally takes expertise in both languages as well as a lot of time, and it's not cheap. The transcoder was able to translate between C++, Java, and Python. It was trained on over 2.8 million open source repositories on GitHub. The transcoder did make mistakes, however, many of which were minor. MIT's brain chip could make your mobile device smarter. MIT scientists have published a paper detailing a new type of artificial brain synapse that can potentially produce devices that will handle complex AI computing locally without connecting to a data center. And they'll remain small and power efficient too. Thousands of these synapses can be combined on a chip, which is smaller than a single piece of confetti. These memristors are created using alloys of silver and copper and offer a gradient of values as opposed to a binary state, and they're able to remember states. The goal was to create dedicated hardware that can perform tasks that currently require significant GPU computing power. Twitter will launch a revamped verification system with publicly documented guidelines. Twitter confirmed that it is developing a new verification system. In 2018, Twitter slowed the pace of verifications in order to prioritize election integrity and focus on verifying political candidates and, more recently, authoritative health experts. The new system will have clear guidelines for what is required for a user to be verified. It's unknown when the new system will be implemented. You can now trade in certain Android phones for iPhones. 
Apple updated its trade-in website to allow customers to trade in specific Android smartphone models for store credit towards a new iPhone. In 2013, Apple and Brightstar started a trade-in program by offering customers up to $175 store credit towards a new iPhone 5S for trading in a 4S. They offered store credit for Android phones for a time in 2015, but discontinued that program in 2016. The list includes a number of Samsung Galaxy, Samsung Note, and Google Pixel phones. Basically the top tier Android phones, so I'm probably not going to be able to trade in my Motorola E5 Cruise for a new iPhone. You can find the list of phones you can trade in at the end of an article we link to in the podcast description. Apple Patents Software for Social Distancing Group Selfies Apple was granted a patent for software that generates synthetic group selfies. This could be a way to take group selfies for social media even if you're trying to social distance from friends. The application, first discovered by Patently Apple, says Apple device users could invite others to take part in a group selfie, and the software would arrange them together in a single image. The selfie could include still photos, stored video images, or live streaming images. Users may be able to keep the original selfie as well as the group version and the original user and recipients of the group image could modify the selfie, putting themselves in a different position in the group. Even though it seems like a perfect moment with the COVID-19 pandemic going on, the concept wasn't developed specifically for the current state of affairs in mind. Rather, the patent was filed in 2018 and was just granted on June 2nd. This was initially reported June 7th, but it wasn't in time to make it into last week's news, so it's in this week's news instead. Continuing with Apple news, Apple is planning to announce ARM transition for all Macs. Apple plans on announcing the beginning of its transition from Intel-based Macs to ARM-based Macs at the Worldwide Developers Conference that it is putting on on June 22nd. It's likely developers will have plenty of time to adjust to this change, similar to when Apple transitioned from PowerPC to Intel in 2006. Of course, the ARM Macs will continue to run on the macOS operating system. The new ARM chips are more power efficient and show improvements compared to Intel chips in graphics and AI performance. The transition will take some time, and the move is not predicted to drastically affect Intel's bottom line. And yet more Apple news. Apple removes Pocket Cast podcast player from the App Store in China. In a move that is no doubt disappointing to listeners of this podcast in China that use Pocket Cast on iPhone, which is currently 0% according to my dashboard stats on Anchor, Apple removed the podcast app from the Chinese App Store at the request of the Chinese government. A request was made to Apple by the Cyberspace Administration of China to remove the app after the Pocket Cast team had repeatedly turned down requests by the government to take down podcasts. It's not the first time Apple has removed apps to comply with the Chinese government. Wait. Why do I have so many French listeners and no Chinese listeners?
Microsoft bans the sale of facial recognition technology to United States police. Following Amazon and IBM, Microsoft won't sell its facial recognition software technology to police departments anymore until a law regulating its use is enacted at the federal level. Microsoft President Brad Smith said, quote, We will not sell facial recognition technology to police departments in the United States until we have a national law in place, grounded in human rights, that will govern this technology. End quote. Microsoft will also put further checks on the use of this controversial technology. They did not say whether they will continue selling to other government departments, such as the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Amazon had announced on Thursday that it would stop selling facial recognition technology to police departments for a year, and IBM said it was abandoning its similar technology for all use for the time being. OpenAI is going to start selling its text generation tech first to Reddit. OpenAI, which started as a nonprofit with the goal of mitigating the potential harms of AI, announced its first commercial product, an AI text generation system. They had previously warned it was too dangerous to share. OpenAI's work on text generation attracted acclaim after they published the text generator GPT-2 in February of last year. Users can input any text into GPT-2, be it lines from a song, a short story, scientific paper, etc., and the software will continue writing. I tried a web version of it myself, and it does a decent job at figuring out what you want to type next. It's not perfect, mind you. You'll get a bit of garbage, but sometimes it can be quite hilarious, too. OpenAI initially limited the release due to concerns the system would be used for malicious purposes, like generating fake news or spam. But there was no strong evidence of misuse when they published the code in full. GPT-3 is what's being adapted to its first commercial product. Access to the API for GPT-3 is invitation only, and pricing has not been decided. The API could be used to create better chatbots, gaming experiences, and much more. The NBA could use 2K video game crowd noise to simulate fans in empty Orlando arenas. The National Basketball Association is considering creative ways to avoid silence when they resume their season. Both players and owners have approved the league's 22-team proposal to resume play in Orlando, Florida on July 31st. But the difference will be there will be social distancing, masks, and smaller non-NBA arenas. There will also be a lack of fans in the stands. Other sports leagues have already tried ways to simulate crowds. The German Bundesliga experimented with adding fake crowd noise to the broadcast of soccer matches. Others have used cardboard cutouts of mannequins in place of the fans, and South Korean soccer team FC Seoul hilariously mistakenly used sex dolls throughout the stadium seats. Oh my, we're slightly risking the family friendliness today, aren't we? 
the NFL is considering using digital fans in the seats for its tapings. So the NBA is considering using crowd noise from the NBA 2K games. The league is still discussing its creative options. We're heading back to China now as Zoom closed the account of a U.S.-based Chinese activist group to comply with local law. A paid Zoom account of a U.S.-based nonprofit called Humanitarian China has been temporarily shut down after broadcasting an event commemorating the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Zoom says the account was closed down to comply with the local laws. Some of the participants of the event were based in China, and in China, a free discussion of the Tiananmen pro-democracy movement is forbidden. Though Zoom is a U.S.-based company, much of its development was based in China, and some Zoom calls are routed through Chinese servers. A manned fighter to face autonomous drone next year in a sci-fi movie-like showdown. The Air Force announced a showdown between an AI-driven flight control system against a fighter jet with a human pilot planned for July 2021. Details about the aircraft that will take part in the event were not released. Unmanned combat air vehicles have the potential to change aerial warfare since they lower the cost of training and production. They are also able to perform some tasks equally well, if not better, than humans. AI capabilities integrated into manned aircraft could help reduce pilot fatigue and improve decision making. LiDAR has helped uncover an ancient Mayan structure. The technology is becoming useful in archaeology as it can reveal structures within hours that would have taken months to discover with other methods. Using the technology, a team from the University of Arizona scanned forests in the Tabasco region of Mexico. They didn't find Tabasco sauce, but they did find an enormous Mayan structure that was more than 3,000 years old. The LiDAR was able to produce a large-scale, low-resolution image of the area. Photos and video are in the article that's linked in the podcast episode description. In a similar story, a ground-penetrating radar has revealed an entire ancient Roman city. Archaeologists have been able to map the entire underground city of Feleri Novi using a ground-penetrating radar. 28 billion data points were collected in the project to generate the full map, which is still being processed. The researchers documented the location of buildings, monuments, passageways, and water pipes without having to dig. The city is well documented in historical accounts. It has an unorthodox layout compared to other ancient cities of the Roman Empire. Pentagon documents reveal the U.S. has been planning for a Bitcoin rebellion. The Department of Defense planned for a scenario involving a rebellion that used Bitcoin to undermine and evade the establishment. The scenario, people born between the mid-1990s and early 2010s, used cyber attacks to steal money and convert it to Bitcoin. The Defense Force was also wargaming scenarios involving Islamist militants and anti-capitalist extremists. 
Matt Gates, Republican representative from Florida, has called for the government to freeze the money of demonstrators to quell political dissent. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have had an increased interest recently due to the coronavirus pandemic, unprecedented levels of government borrowing, and its use in censorship resistance. Just Eat Takeaway is buying Grubhub for $7.3 billion. The European company Just Eat Takeaway announced they have reached an agreement to acquire Grubhub for $7.3 billion. They have around 70 million combined active customers globally, and the two companies served 593 million orders in 2019. CEO of Grubhub Matt Malone will join Just Eat Takeaway's management board and lead the business across North America. Due to many companies finding it difficult to be profitable in the online food delivery business, many are looking to buy out rivals to get better economies of scale on operations. And finally, the European Space Agency is building a reusable rocket. They announced plans to build a reusable rocket engine. Last year, the French space agency CNES unveiled the Prometheus engine design. They have now fully funded the project, and they want to reduce the cost to produce the engine to a tenth of the cost compared to current options. They've already manufactured several parts for the rocket and are testing some of the hardware components soon in Germany. The ESA wants to complete the first combustion chamber model this month and assemble a full demo version for testing by 2021. And that was the news. This has been Joey's Totally Tech. I hope you found this episode informative and entertaining, and I will catch you next time.